prepare your ears, humans. Happy, sad, confused begins now. Today on Happy, Sad, Confused, Denis Villeneuve returns to talk about his passion project, Dune. Hey guys, Josh Horowitz here with a great chat with one of my favorite filmmakers alive, Denis Villeneuve. I mean, look at the films of Denis, specifically this this amazing sci-fi trio that he has launched the last few years. Arrival, Blade Runner 2049, and now Dune. These are just audacious big swings, and um, generally he's... He's hitting them out of the park. I have to say Dune is an impressive piece of work. I have to see it again, to be honest, to really give you the, the full review to like understand how I felt about it. Because if you've listened to this podcast, you know this is a, a film I've been dying to see for years. I mean, from the, the moment it was announced, I was so excited because, frankly, it was the movie, not the book initially, that really touched me as a kid. David Lynch's movie, which is kind of a weird, compromised version of the book, but it, it really made an impact on me. Then when I heard Denis, who, you know, again, one of my favorite filmmakers working today, had decided to do this, he cast Timmy Chalamet as Paul Atreides, and then he surrounds Timothy with the finest actors on the planet, Javier Bardem, Josh Brolin, Stellan Skarsgård, um, Zendaya, Oscar Isaac, Rebecca Ferguson. I mean, it's an embarrassment of riches. Um, Jason Momoa. Jason Momoa is fantastic in this movie. <laughs> um so this is not a spoilery chat. Um, of course, the book is out there, so kind of spoilers are are out there if you want them anyway. Um, but I did want to mention that this is coming a little early, right? So the movie doesn't actually open until October 22nd here in the States. Uh, it's been out, I believe, in a bunch of territories overseas already, doing pretty well, um, happy to say, because, guys, we need the second part. They haven't filmed the second part yet. Depends on the box office. So this is a case where I'm truly, truly hoping that um, enough people go out to see this ambitious piece of work to warrant the sequel that we all need. Um, Denis has been on a whirlwind uh, tour. I caught him at, he was at the Toronto Film Festival and I chatted with him. He had jet lag. English is not his first language. There were all the ingredients for him to like just not invest himself in this conversation, but he truly did and gave me the time and the thoughtfulness um, and he's also just like such a sweet and, and humble man considering um, where he sits in the um, pantheon of filmmakers today. So really appreciative that, that Denis came back on the podcast for this chat about Dune and a great many other things. A little bit of a look back at Blade Runner 2049 and why he hasn't actually watched that film since it came out. Um, a little bit about his love of Bond which is really interesting. That part of the chat I found exciting and interesting. Uh, and I know he's gotten some flack recently about his, his comments on Marvel movies. Well, there's nothing like that here. In fact, just the opposite. He talks a bit about the one comic book character that he would not be able to say no to, that he would be interested in, that he relates to. So there's what, there's what we call a, te a tease in the business. Um, other things to mention. Well, this has been an exciting time. As I tape this, uh, here in New York, the New York Film Festival is going strong. And it's been a real, I don't know, invigorating, exciting time. Because I've been out and about to a bunch of screenings, a bunch of premieres, and a bunch of, like, parties. Um, outdoor events where, you know, people were tested up the wazoo and I felt relatively safe. Nothing's 100%, but we're all trying to be as safe as possible still. Um... And it was a nice kind of return to normalcy, if normalcy can be, you know, swanky parties at Tavern on the Green. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of crazy. The life that um, I get to dip into occasionally is pretty, it's, it's, it's you know, I, I count myself lucky and I, I truly am appreciative. And, and more appreciative than ever, considering the year and a half we've all had, um, that I'm back at these kind of fun events and uh, got, a, got to see Jane Campion's film, Power of the Dog, with Benedict Cumberbatch. Got a chance to catch up with Benedict at that party. Um, got a chance to see... Um, what else have I seen? Oh, I just saw Passing, uh, Rebecca Hall's uh, very moving piece of work that she wrote and directed with Tessa Thompson and Ruth Nega. Um, yeah, so it's it's, again, it's kind of like an interesting... It's really been a week filled with... Uh, 
I wouldn't say routine things, but things that I used to do in my routine. So that's that's exciting. Not to mention that I'm excited that the box office is doing well. Venom. Well, I'm not the. I will admit I'm not the biggest fan of the Venom movies, although I love Tom Hardy. Um, I'm excited that people are going to see it and that uh, box office. The box office is there, um, and I have a feeling that Bond, No Time to Die, which I, I liked, uh, I think that's going to do very well as well. So. Um, maybe box office, maybe theaters aren't as dead as we thought they might be. I can sometimes be a little pessimistic. Um, so yes, yeah, so th- so a lot to be excited for in the movie space. Um, other things to mention. Oh, well, I do want to mention. I think I teased this before. Uh, any day now, look forward to my uh, Comedy Central talk show uh, with James McAvoy. Yes, James McAvoy returns the best. Uh, Untitled Josh Horowitz show with James McAvoy. Very fun, very silly, very stupid, very inappropriate. Uh, I'll put that out on all of my social media stuff. Um, oh, I want to give a plug because uh, I this is an easy plug to give because I actually really love um, what Sean does. Sean McNulty, a buddy of mine, uh, has this great newsletter. I've mentioned it before. If you're like me and feel a little bit overwhelmed by all the entertainment headlines coming across your feed and you kind of like, well, wouldn't it be good to have like an easy to read digest of all of it every morning? The Wake Up is for you. The Wake Up is a newsletter. You sign up for it at thewakeup.substack.com. And uh, it's there waiting for you in your inbox every morning. And it's a quick read. It's a fun read. Sean really gets the business, the business side and the entertainment side. And it's going to have all the headlines you want in terms of, um, you know, casting and, and, and big deals and, and more businessy side of, uh, side of things. Um, it's a, a good marriage of all of that stuff. So, um, again, thewakeup.substack.com, completely free. Check it out. Highly recommended. Let's see, any other things I want to tease? Bank some good podcasts coming up, New York Comic Con coming up. Oh, so I wish I had the specifics on this. It keeps changing, I'll I'll be honest. There's a panel I'm going to be on, I believe it's Saturday at 3.30. You're just going to have to look on the New York Comic Con website. I've been looking, I feel like they they keep moving it around. I heard it was going to be Friday, but I think they've moved it to Saturday. Saturday at 3.30, I believe I'll be part of a panel um, with some other uh, members of the Critics' Choice Association talking about like big genre TV and film. Look up on the panel schedule on Saturday if you want to come out and say hi. Um, I should be there Saturday, 3.30 to 4.30. Um, as I tape this, I think it still says Friday, but they were moving it to Saturday. Could it be more confusing? No. But suffice it to say, I will be at New York Comic Con for that. Um, I'll also be competing <laughs> Saturday evening at the Schmodown, this movie trivia kind of thing that I, I take part in at a live event in Brooklyn. Uh, if you just Google a movie trivia Schmodown, you'll see um, how to get tickets for that. Uh, that should be a fun night in Brooklyn as well. You can cheer me on. Hopefully I will beat the great Griffin Newman, fellow podcaster and movie nerd like myself. Um I think those are all the plugs and things I want to keep you guys apprised of. Except to say, of course, if you want to watch video versions of the podcast, if you want to watch tons of fun game night episodes, patreon.com slash happy sad confused. I'm putting this Denis Villeneuve talk on there if you want to watch the video version of it. Or virtually 90% of all the podcasts are on there in video form, which is a fun, different way to experience it. You can see all the facial ticks that I've got and my guests have. And you can, frankly, learn a lot from somebody's body language watching it as opposed to listening to it it's just a different experience not to mention the game night episodes which are just a fun silly diversion okay let's get to the main event because this is a big one one of the best filmmakers out there talking about you know you say this about a lot of films but maybe the most eagerly anticipated film of the year certainly it was for me before i saw it uh dune coming at you october 22nd here in the states but right now here's my chat with the great denis villeneuve You know, it could be considered a fluke to have a great filmmaker once on my podcast, but this is no fluke. Denis Villeneuve is back on my little old podcast again. Uh, it's a great pleasure to see you, sir. Thank you so much for your time, as always, and uh, a lot to talk about today. I hope you're feeling well. Yeah, I, I'm uh, very happy to be with you. So um, we, we, of course, last talked for Blade Runner, uh, which felt at the time like, you know, the unfilmable 
impossible film to mount and you've succeeded it with perhaps the only thing you could succeed it with as a, a more unfilmable, unfathomable um, uh, a project. Um, this is not just a, a film that, that some people feel is a passion project. It's your passion project. You've lived with this for 40 years since you, you, you read it as a child. How do you feel like, do you, does this feel like a, a conclusion in some ways for you? I mean, give me a sense of your, your emotions on completing this first chapter. Yeah, I would say uh, uh, that the, the, the feeling right now is like it's, um, um, it feels like a beginning in a way that uh, um, doing part one is really, the, the, it's like really like I, it, I, I did open a door uh, into a, a universe that uh, I'm dreaming, I was dreaming to, to um, um, explore since uh, you're right, maybe 40 years. And um, the main difficulty for me in adapting Dune was to make sure that I will try my best to bring some of the images that I saw when that came to in my, my mind when I read the book. Right. And I was a very ambitious kid when I read the book and to, to so I succeeded sometimes, other times not, not. And so right now it's not like uh, I feel like totally uh, uh, um, that uh, uh, I, I totally succeeded. I, I just feel that I, some part of the dream is there and uh, it's like uh, uh, something that uh, there's more to come. I mean, I, I, in order right. to feel that the journey is completed, in order to feel that I, I'm, I'm, uh, I've done it, I need more work. That's what I feel. You, you, you first read this book, as I understand it, when you were around the age of 13 or 14. And I heard you say somewhere that you, in fact, with a friend, even drafted like storyboards for this film way back yeah. then. Do, do, do they still exist? Like, did you look back at what you had drawn way back then? I know that uh, some drawings that still exist and, uh, somewhere in my, in my archives. The, the, uh, I will say that uh, uh, at the time we, uh, uh, my best friend and I were discovering what was the, uh, the, the job of a director, what 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 was the, what was meaning to to, to be a filmmaker, and um, we started to dream uh, about this idea of what could be what would look like uh, some elements of, of the novel. But uh, this was like, a, of course, just a fantasy. It was just dreams because I never thought at the time that I would have the privilege to bring to, to the screen. It was out of my reach. I was a Canadian filmmaker, meaning that I was like, a, um, I knew that I will, I will evolve in a world where I will have total freedom, but no money to make it. So it's like a, to, to do sci-fi was something that was like just out of reach. Slowly, slowly, I started to feel that this could happen if I put the necessary efforts. To, to be fair, it's virtual. It's a film virtually out of any filmmaker's reach, let alone a 13-year-old boy in, in Canada. This is a project that, you know, I've been I've been like bathing in all things Dune the last couple of weeks. I saw your film and I love your film. I went back to, I have a lot of love and reverence for David Lynch's uh, a compromised version. Um, I, I watched the Yodorovsky documentary, which is fascinating. So many filmmakers have tried to crack this. It's, it's, it is called by some an unfilmable property. And I'm curious for you, do you think you need to be a little bit mad as a filmmaker to tackle something like this? Do you need to kind of be a little bit out of your mind? Yeah, out of my mind or unconscious. I mean, like, uh, I would say it is unfilmable. It is like a, a, a impossible book to adapt. I mean, it's like a, 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 the, the, the movie I've made is one adaptation. It's it like uh, that uh, uh, I made some radical choices in order to bring it to the screen. But if you want to, if you try to bring the book as it is to the screen, it will be like, uh, it, 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 it's definitely, uh, when you do such an adaptation, you, do, you need to do a, a certain amount of transformation in order to be able to, to bring that content into a cinematic form I had to, um, uh, it was a lot of work uh, to be able to find an equilibrium between the amount of, of information that was required to, in, order, in order to understand the story and uh, making sure that I, uh, I would not 
put too much burden onto the audience uh, brain. You know, it's like um, um, it is uh, quite. Uh, uh, it was very very difficult adaptation to me. Well, it is. It is something that drops you into a very complex world. It, it demands something of an audience, and um, I would imagine, yes, that is a challenge for a filmmaker in, in terms of like how much information does the audience need? How much do I need to educate them? on who is who, what is what, where is where, what are the rules of this universe? Was that, was that something you found in the writing or something you found in the editing and like finding the balance of how much to lead the audience on and how much to like let the audience kind of just live in this world and discover it as they go? It, it had to be found in the writing. I mean, it's really something that uh, was found uh, with the words before we went to, into images. Now, uh, uh, there was some uh, precision that uh, uh, has been made as we were uh, doing the editing, but I would say uh, the main uh, equilibrium had to be found in the, in the screen. Yeah. And uh, it was like, uh, again, a very long process of adaptation with the numerous brains uh, that are working on it. There was like Eric Roth, John Spade, and I spent uh, months uh, uh, trying to crack the beast. And again, it's like uh, it's my take on, on the book, uh, and uh, but uh, when I saw David Lynch version when I was young, um, I did feel that he uh, he succeeded in some areas and and uh, and other moments of in, in his adaptation. I felt that he he had the uh, went away from the, the, the source material a bit too much. There was things that some decision he made that I didn't agree with. And uh, I always thought that someone one day will do another adaptation. I was, uh, I was waiting for this adaptation for uh, a long time. And, uh, it never happened, so I had to do it. <laughs> <laughs> if, if, uh, if you were to have a lovely meal with David Lynch and Yodorovsky, what do you think you would want to talk to these gentlemen about? Would you compare notes about your attempts? I don't think they would. I would love to meet them, but I don't think they would like to talk about you. I, I think that. <laughs> yeah, David. David is on record. He's done. He doesn't want to look back. <laughs> but uh, uh, if I was meeting uh, with Lynch, we think it would be more interested to talk about painting or or, or <laughs> than than uh, you. They would like to talk about anything else. I mean then. And I'm not expecting to have that, that the chance to uh, share the experience because I don't know if I succeeded. Okay, I'm not. A, I have a, a, a very close relationship with the movie I've made. It's a movie that I'm. I stand by. I'm. Uh, I'm uh, kind of uh, proud of the movie, but I'm not saying that it's up to other people to judge if they feel uh, if I succeeded or not. So it's for me. It's not about the result, but it's about the process. Yes. And one thing I would love to share with and with Jodorowsky and and with Lich is to talk about the process, the process of to, of diving into this book, the process of being inspired by by uh, by Herbert and trying to transform his words into images. And and uh, these gentlemen are two completely different filmmakers than I am. I mean, they are two masters one of the two of the greatest uh, uh, filmmakers of all time. And they, they uh, have a massive cinematic personality and, and, and uh, they, are, they, they are both well known to be able to create iconic images and, and to create a, a, a very uh, original and uh, unseen images. I mean, it's like, a, they are masters. So for me, it would be more a way to educate myself than anything else. I would love it. It would be fantastic to have to take a coffee with, with Anne Lynch and Jodorowsky and to talk about the uh, flies together. You, you mentioned, you know, dreams a lot. And I'm curious if when you're in the process of making this film, in shooting this film, are you dreaming about the film as you're making it? And what were those dreams like? Yeah, I know. Definitely the thing that at one point... Uh, as a filmmaker, your days become a continuous. Uh, uh, your brain is like always in contact with the object that uh, uh, you're shooting, and uh, it becomes like a continuous, uh, uh, never-ending uh, creative process. As uh, uh, I would start to uh, dreams would start to uh, 
be more and more and more vivid as I'm getting closer to the shoot and they will inspire me and bring ideas that I will use on the day or, or, or uh, give me clues of what to, what to do or what to do or, or, or uh, um, just bring images. I think that right from the start, I said to my crew that uh, as we start the design of the movie, that I, I said to them, I beg you guys, don't let's start to let's try to stay away from the internet or any kind of other influence that because uh, there's a tendency right now that uh, people will design the things and just create like a, a mood board or notebook that are based on, on other people's work and uh, uh, which I it's a way uh, people uh, people work like that but for me I, my dream was really to try to be in contact with uh, something deeper going back to old images that came from the subconscious images coming from childhood and things that uh, were there before any kind of other influences uh, which of course is almost impossible but 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 i still i i i wanted to have some kind of purity and and uh, about the design and i tried at my best to stay away from any other influence visual influence and to try to go back to the root of uh, what this book, book meant to me when I read it. Can, can you cite any specific scenes or images or moments in the film where you feel like you've touched, you've come at least 90% close to what you were striving for? Put it 90%. I will say that uh, uh, when the, the Benedictine sisters are landing on Caladan and then all the scene that follows with the, the Gamjabar, mm. Gamjabar is not far away from my childhood dream. The the the, the ambience, the, the room, the Reverend Mother, the her presence, her magnetism, the tension, the fear, the um, the colors, everything that is super close to my my dream. Uh, everything involving the desert, I would say, when Paul and Lady Jessica. Um, toward the end, uh, will find the fragment. It's like a spoiler alert. It's a, 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 a that moment um, for me feels very very close to what what I had in mind when uh, when uh, I read the book. Paul in his in his bedroom on on Arrakis. There's like it's like little glimpses there and there that I feel that I, I there's something about there's something about the old atmosphere of the movie that is very close to what, what I had in mind. It's funny, we, you know, we always talk about, you know, world building uh, per se in films, and this is not one world, you're, you're, you're creating a universe, you're creating multiple worlds. I think that's like, that's certainly, I would, I would say is one of the aspects, you know, we talk about how Star Wars was influenced by Dune, like, you know, Star Wars has multiple planets in each film and he does, you know, the planet of Hoth and Tatooine and they are very distinct. In Dune, you can't get much more different from Caladan to Arrakis. Um, is that part of the joy for you as a filmmaker? It's like, I get to play in the sandbox that's, I'm not creating one world. I get to create multiple distinct worlds that are all um, worthy of immersion. Yeah, and, and these worlds will add to add a strong meaning. This world will need to inform us about uh, 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 um, the different qualities of the different, let's say, tribes that are coming from these these different worlds. And and, uh, and uh, there was something in, in the book that uh, I, I always uh, was mesmerized by is how uh, Frank Herbert always went back to the, the idea of ecosystems that uh, you're the product of, of, uh, of uh, your environment and, and uh, the way that they, these ecosystems has an impact on the way the people adapt and survive, of course, and what would, would meant for the qualities of the people that will get out of it will be, will, uh, be able to survive so such environments. And, and uh, uh, it's like uh, always going back to biology. And, and uh, there's something that um, uh, I tried to stay in that logic with the design. I tried to stay as close as possible to the spirit in which Frank Herbert wrote his, his, his novel. You also um, assemble, I mean, one of the great casts, period, for a sci-fi film or any film that I've seen in recent years. It's just, to a man, everybody delivers fantastic performances in this. So they're, um, and many, I, I've never seen, 
portrayed in this way. Jason Momoa, I think this is Jason Momoa's best role. I think I, I think it's a different kind of a role for him, uses him in different ways, and it's just um, endlessly uh, rewarding to see him in that. Can you talk to me a little bit about, about which characters or which, which um, actors surprised you in a way? I mean, Paul is the key, and that's the character obviously that this rests on, but was there a challenging other character to cast? What was the one that was kind of most in your mind that was a challenging one? What was great about casting Dune is that I'd been living with these characters since 40 years. I knew exactly who are the characters. I know exactly which qualities I was looking for as I was doing casting. And I had a, I had a list of my, of my uh, 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 first choices for each character and that list is dangerously close to what <laughs> right now. See, there, there are sometimes uh, uh, people were not available, whatever. But but in general, uh, it's pretty close to my my dream list. And uh, the thing is, uh, all of them uh, came on board with great enthusiasm. Uh, I would, I think, I, I can speak for them, saying that they will all agree that, that there was a kind of, uh, of uh, uh, very. Uh, positive energy, uh, thinking that they could work on, on, on this adaptation of this book because they all, uh, in general, either had a specific relationship with the book uh, or, or were, were excited by the idea of participating to this, this. So it was easy to bring people on board and then and to convince nobody. <laughs> they just like when I was making a phone call, it was always like a very spontaneous, uh, yes, fantastic, let's do it. It, it was like, a, uh, now, uh, if, who did surprise me? Uh, it's, uh, I, I, I would say that they all, in their own way, are different, uh, all surprised me uh, in different ways. I mean, it's like, uh, it's, uh, it's uh, what I'm expecting from actors, <laughs> you know, to, do, to destabilize me or to, to right. bring something to the screen that I was not expecting that, uh, uh, and they uh, all, I would say, frankly, all gave their best. Um, so I, 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 uh, I would not put the name on uh, some, something specific. Uh, yeah. Have you started to think about casting? I mean, you have, you have a few very key roles we have not seen yet. We have not seen the emperor. We've not seen the princess. We've not seen Fade. Um, have you talked to actors about those roles yet? No, I, I uh, the thing was that I had to focus on Dune part one and uh, for Dune part two uh, I will I will dare to approach uh, uh, actors or actresses once I knew that the movie would be brilliant otherwise I don't have the, usually I don't have call people when I have, I'm not sure about something so when, right. when I'm not sure but that process will go pretty fast because of course I have uh, strong ideas I mean precise ideas in my mind <laughs> yes. Uh, what um? Which of those characters are you most excited to potentially realize in the second part? Or there, there must be scenes again and specific new characters that you must be just chomping at the bit to realize on the big screen. Of course. I mean, it's like as I was for the first part. I mean, it's like uh, uh, the the big difference between. And I will not answer to your question, but the big difference for me between both parts is 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 that uh, in Dune Part One, it's. Uh, it's an it is an, an introduction to a world. Yes. Uh, you have, let's say I set the table. Now, I'm doing part two, I'm bringing the meal. You know, it's like it's like <laughs> where I will have uh, more space to have fun with cinema. Let's say, uh, it, I will less be uh, bound to explain things. I will have more. I think it's going to be more joyful process to do it. I, I was talking to Timmy Chalmé the, the other day, and... Um... You know, he was curious himself. He hasn't. He said he wasn't sure if Dune Part Two picks up immediately after Dune Part One ends, or if there's a gap. Because he's wondering if he should physically transform. Does does is the Paul we see there a couple years later? Has he built out? Is he you know now a man among the Fremen? Um, can you say anything about that? Or are we going to see a much different Paul at the outset of Dune Part Two? I, I don't want to say nothing about Dune Part Two. <laughs> I love. I'm someone that is very. I'm, I have the tendency. I like to be secretive. I like to not say things. It's it. It's it, it, it already too much for me to to to, <laughs> have to announce that I, that would do a part two. It's like a, a, a perfect world. 
I would love to make movies and, uh, into uh, in total uh, secrecy. And then we, <laughs> it's not the world we are in today, but uh, it's like that. I like to focus and not think about uh, uh, yeah having to explain or, or, or uh, it's it's. Um, no, I cannot talk about that. <laughs> I understand. I understand. I'm just trying to will it into existence. I, I'm also curious about. Um, it was it yet. I mean, I, I cannot talk about his first step. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. I understand. I, I mean, another project related to Dune was announced. I don't know what state it's in, but is um, is the Benny Gesserit focused show still something that's in development? Something you're planning on on doing? Yeah, it's 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 a, a, a fantastic project that uh, is is in development right now. It's uh, of course it's a kind of complex and it it takes a little bit of time, but it's moving forward. It's something that uh, it's quite exciting, and uh, I I'm not as involved in it as uh, uh, in the feature film, of course, because I'm entire my focus is entirely uh, devoted uh, on. Uh, Concentrate on, on, on the, the feature film, but uh, right. uh, if things goes according to the plan, it, it should uh, see the light of the day. Uh, I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, uh, it's in development, right? So I think got it. it, it can't... It's it's like uh, it's, it's difficult to talk about things that are like like. <laughs> no, it's fair enough. Fair enough. I'm curious. I mean, this. The development of this project, it's obviously been on your, your brain for many years. Was it something that you were working on or, or talking to Legendary about prior to Blade Runner? Does this predate even Blade Runner 2049 or did it come only after? Oh no, it's, it's, it's uh, I, uh, uh, I knew that the, the, there was talk that the, the, the rights were in negotiation, that the, the, the rights were available and I, and, uh, I was like, uh, um, interested to uh, get them uh, and uh, when I learned that uh, uh, the Denuri had the rights I expressed the fact that I was uh, it was a, a dream of mine and they, they, they earned me and we met but uh, it was like uh, I uh, at that meeting if I was good as I, I was finishing Blade Runner I mean it was not uh, uh, Got it. Blade Runner was not out yet but it was uh, almost uh, toward the end of the process and uh, I um, it was like a very, uh, let's say it was a very fast meeting because we, we basically we agreed, agreed very spontaneously on, on the basic of the project and Mary Barron and I shook hands and it, that was it. It's, it was like a, our fastest, fastest uh, meeting I ever done. It seems like that timing is fortuitous because I mean, you know, the jump to Blade Runner from Arrival is huge, but the, there are probably some necessary, some, some probably great lessons learned from the production of Blade Runner. I would imagine that you applied to Dune. Is it fair to say that making Blade Runner 2049 helped you wrap your brain around how to approach something the size with Dune? Totally. I mean, uh, I would have never been able to do Dune without doing our, and Arrival and Blade Runner. And by the way, all the movies I've made before, because they are like, each movie in a way is, is always like a crash course on something new about the, the, the art of filmmaking. I mean, uh, it's like, uh, for instance, in Blade Runner, it was about world building. And, and uh, of course, I was uh, building a, a world according to very specific laws that had been uh, written by Ridley Scott. So it's like... A, I was playing on, on somebody else's playground, but uh, still had to, to build that world and, and bring it to life. And and uh, and there was uh, I, Blade Runner, 2049 was for me a massive crash course into uh, how to create uh, uh, realism into visual effects, into VFX. Uh, I had the insane chance and privilege to sit beside Roger Dickens as we were uh, uh, bringing to life every single shot in Blade Runner. And, and so it mean, means that I, it was like a, a um, master class on, on how to, to create VFX shots. And, and uh, I learned so much with work with Dickens. I mean, it's yeah. like, uh, um, as I was uh, uh, directing the VFX crew of Dune, 
I knew that I was able to do so because of Roger. I, everything I learned with Roger. So I would have never been able to do it without the, uh, having done it in 2049 with the Roger Deakins. That's for sure. I, I still have so much admiration for what you did on Blade Runner. That film is a miracle to me. I think we talked about it at the time, of like how you can even succeed what Ridley was able to do and honor it and do your own thing is still uh, remarkable to me. With I have a very, uh, I apologize to interrupt your question. It's that me and my relationship with Blade Runner 2049 is, is uh, still, um, I haven't watched the movie uh, since the premiere. I mean, it's like, I'm still oh, digesting wow. the experience. I'm still uh, um, uh, trying to find comfort and, and, uh, and to, uh, it's normal, by the way. Uh, it's always <laughs> deal with your, your work from the past and, and uh, um, I'm looking forward to see the movie again one day when I will, I will have the, the, the distance. Um, that is interesting because that was kind of what I was going to ask about was about whether you have more perspective on that film now, because I think it was received so so well from from critics. It, it did. It, I mean, it made a tremendous amount of money. Perhaps not as much as the studio was hoping for. It's, um, it's, yeah, it, uh, uh, the thing is, uh, I um, I would say one thing. The miracle for me about Blade Runner twenty forty nine is the following: is that I'm still making movies and you are still talking to me. <laughs> I, I knew that when I did this movie, I flirted. With disaster, I put myself into artist, massive artistic danger. That was like walking, as Christopher Nolan put uh, said to me once, "You're walking in sacred territory, man." <laughs> it's like it's true. It's like it's like a, it was like a, a sacrilegious uh, what I did. I, I, it was like a, you don't do that. You know, you don't. Like, <laughs> you're crossing the movie gods. You're challenging them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Just the fact that uh, I'm still I'm still here making movies for me is like uh, it, I don't know what worth the movie, but I know that at, at least I was not banned from the filmmaker community. <laughs> I mean, I would joking. say I'm not thinking <laughs> about that, but it could have been. Uh, yeah, it was a dangerous game to play. I would say <laughs> it's something for Christopher Nolan to say that, who has clearly made extremely challenging work to say, you know what, you're going too far. This is dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> So I guess this answers my next question, but th there is no talk of anything else in that universe, I take it, of returning to Blade Runner in, any, in a, a series or anything. It's what's done is done. You've done your time in that universe. Man, let's say, uh, frankly, uh, uh, it was such a privilege to, to do it once. And... Uh, uh, I will say this, I deeply love going into that, that Blade Runner bubble. I, 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 uh, and I feel that uh, uh, when I did it, I was like uh, learning things. And, and uh, I feel that if I had to go back again today, I would be much more in control of, of uh, of, of the of the tools, and I, I would be much more able to bring something um, meaningful to life. And uh, um, I'm not saying that I will never go back in Los Angeles uh, in the 21st century again. <laughs> I think it's like it's uh, uh, it's really a space that I deeply love. But uh, in the same time. I have to be careful because it's like it's a really got the world, you know. It's not mine. I don't. Uh, I was invited once. I don't. <laughs> I would dare to knock on the door and say, "Hey, can I come back?" I'm not sure if I had the right to do that. I did already to to, to go there once was like a, a once in a life uh, time uh, chance. I would be able to go back, but I would love to definitely to, to play in that that zone again. It's like it's so inspiring. You mentioned um, Christopher Nolan, and you two seem to you, you two are are cheerleaders for each other. You clearly there's clearly a lot of an admiration between the two of you. What what is the nature of your 
friendship relationship? Uh, I mean, do you show each other your work or is it just sort of a familial thing? Like after a film is out, you'll touch base and compare notes or, or what is it? Uh, 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 I want to be very careful here. I, I, uh, I will say that uh, I have massive respect for uh, Nolan's work. Uh, I think it's one of, uh, in my humble opinion, uh, by far one of one of the most uh, uh, important filmmaker working today. And uh, there are very few people on earth uh, that would be able to do what uh, Nolan is doing right now. And saying this uh, in my mind, the truth I'm thinking is alone. <laughs> <laughs> it's a small club, yes. He's, he's, he's and uh, so my, uh, I'm, yeah, uh, uh, he, he has all my respect and admiration. And there's a bird of a friendship there that uh, is very important for me. But uh, that's all I can say as uh, someone that uh, I deeply respect and uh, his opinion obviously massively mattered to me, but uh, that's not what I can say. When, when we spoke a few years back, you know, the subject of comic book films came up as it often does in my conversations and you were very open and frank. You didn't grow up, you know, loving superheroes. It's not, was it just wasn't the kind of material that you were reading about and connecting with. Um, since then, I feel, I, you know, I, there was talk that Warner Brothers, who you've made a lot of great work for, approached you for Batman. I don't know if that was something that was, was that even tempting if that was a discussion? Like, has there been in those intermittent years thought of a hero that you connected with? The thing is, uh, uh, to be honest with you and uh, Frank, uh, sometimes <laughs> I have a very bad memory, so sometimes I don't recall, but I don't remember being approached by Bat for Batman. I think that <laughs> I already knew that I was deeply busy doing Dune, so I don't think that uh, is uh, Batman would be probably the only character that I could relate to uh, um, uh, from what I read, like uh, Arkham Asylum or, uh, or a book like that, that uh, I got in contact with when I was an adult. Um, that, that it's, for me, the, the uh, uh, character that I, I could yeah, connect to. But the others, I, I don't know them, and that's like, uh, and I, I don't know if uh, I will dare to approach uh, Batman after what uh, what Don did and now Matt Reeves does. I mean, it's like I'm sure I can't wait to see his movie. I'm a big fan of his work, and and uh, from what I've seen so far, it's super exciting. So uh, uh, I think that it has been everything that uh, uh, would need to be said about Batman will probably have been done. <laughs> so I don't think I, no, I don't think I will know, uh, put it this way. There are so many directors right now that love Marvel and DC, that it's part of their DNA, that's part of their, their uh, education, that it's part, and they, they, they have reverence and, and, and a deep love for this universe, which I don't. So it's, it's that, that's their toys, that, that's their space. And I'm not saying, um, I'm, 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 a, I'm an outsider. Yeah. Well, and you're, in, you're reveling in your space. Part of what I love about your career is you know, a lot of people sometimes put down sci-fi as kind of like a diversion, not important work. And in, if anything, you built up to this. You're like, I want to get to the point where I get to make these stories that really connect with me on a visceral level. I mean, the last, your last three films, Arrival, Blade Runner, Dune, I can't think of a trio of more challenging, fascinating, high level sci-fi than what you've made. You said something here, uh, thank you, but uh, one thing you said is I take sci-fi very seriously. For me, it's like uh, uh, some people uh, I know says uh, there's not a lot of humor or it's not like, no, for me, sci-fi is not a joke. It's not something that I want to, I want, it's a very powerful tool. And it's something that uh, I, uh, I believe in its power and I, I, uh, I'm uh, I'm just like deeply happy to finally be able to evolve in that genre and and uh, and to try to um, arrogance and pretension maybe, but to try to bring a, something fresh about it. It's like a, 
but I've been dreaming to do sci-fi sci-fi since since I'm ten years old. So it's like, uh, yeah, I take it very seriously. What are uh, you know? I know you spoke to Chloe Zhao recently. She's a fascinating filmmaker, and the fact that you mentioned Marvel, it's fascinating that she's taking on something like Eternals. What uh, are there any filmmakers in recent years? I know you've been in the Dune hole and prior to that the Blade Runner hole, but that you found inspiring that have taken on genre material, uh, specifically sci-fi. Um, uh, there's a lot of uh, people there. Let's think about uh, Neil Blomkamp, for instance. And, uh, Neil uh, has done uh, insane strong work. I mean, uh, what he brought to science fiction, uh, it's, it's, uh, I thought was absolutely fantastic. Uh, uh, Alex Garman, I'm a big yes. fan of Yes. I mean, uh, all his movies. Uh, Makina, Annihilation, and from me, I haven't seen this uh, TV series unfortunately yet, um, but uh, uh, I'm a big, I think this guy push, push the boundaries and, and, uh, a big time. Uh, I love uh, the work of, uh, I said very, very often, Jonathan Glazer under the skin for me was like a, a pure gem. I mean, uh, uh, one of my favorite of the past 20 years. I mean, there's like, a, I'm sure I will forget people right now. That's why I don't like to do those kind of <laughs> Those are a few, and the ones that uh, are omitted yeah. will understand, yeah. Nolan is, is uh, the for, a very, uh, for, uh, in the very front, front row of the people that are pushing the, the, the boundaries of science fiction and, and uh, bringing uh, ability, intelligence, and elegance to it. We're in a bit of a different spot than when we spoke four years ago when we when I brought up James Bond and you clearly were a big Bond fan. That's that's a character in a series that you connected with. Back then there wasn't an op- a job opening, but soon we are going to see the last Daniel Craig Bond, and soon enough thereafter, I'm sure they're going to start to think about how they reboot this character. Would you be that the guy for that job? Would you be interested if they came to you and said, "How do you want to reboot Bond?" Uh, frankly, uh, and I cannot believe I would say that, but uh, the answer will be a massive yes. I would deeply love to one day make a James Bond movie, and uh, uh, it's it's a it's a character that uh, I've been with, like everybody, like uh, since my childhood, and it's like uh, I have like massive affection for uh, for Bond, but uh, I mean. It will be a big challenge for the people who will uh, try to uh, to reboot and, uh, and bring something new after what Daniel did. I mean, yeah, I think he was like what Daniel Craig brought to Bond is uh, so unique and, and and strong and um, probably unmatchable. I mean, it's like he is probably the ultimate James Bond, and and uh, I can't wait to see Carrie's movie. Uh, yeah. I'm very excited. I'm, I'm one of the biggest Bond fans. <laughs> <laughs> well, that fits the bill for you. Considering these last couple films are these like insane challenges. Again, following up Daniel Craig, the ultimate James Bond. That's the man for the job. Is obviously the guy that succeeds Blade Runner and films do. <laughs> well, I, I, I just thinking about it. I'm tired, but uh, uh, <laughs> no, no. One thing at a time, it's a listen, it's already a massive privilege. I don't want to be uh, too, yeah, I can sound very arrogant and pretentious right now. It's true that uh, it would be a dream that we follow the Bono 7 one day. Arrogance and pretension are not, are not coming. Yeah. Such a thing will happen, but let's say that uh, it would be a, a big privilege too. And, uh, because uh, at the end of the day, that would be pure cinematic joy to do. Yeah. <laughs> it would be so funny. Yeah. You know, as we wrap up, um, we're all kind of feeling like we're in an existential crisis for film. I mean, we were we were in an existential crisis a few years ago, and then COVID hit, of course, and it was sort of seemed like an accelerant to movie theaters being in trouble. I mean, what keeps you up at night as a film lover, as a as a as a fan of the cinematic experience? Do you are you an optimist at heart or a pessimist about the future of film going? I'm, I'm optimistic. I'm deeply optimistic about the future of cinema and the, uh, with the theatrical experience because it's at the very core of the language, and and uh, I think that there's nothing 
it's, it's, the experience is absolutely unmatchable. Uh, uh, what you experience when you're in movie theater, you can't reproduce at home. Even if you have the best screen and best sound system possible, it, it's not the same. You cannot, unless you have a, your own very own, very own personal movie theater. I mean, like a huge. It's it's something that. Uh, um, what keeps me up at night? It's not the the future of uh, of movies in theaters, like big, uh, massive Hollywood movies. I think these will survive. This will be on screen. This, uh, as long as there will be cinema, there will be movie on on uh, in theaters. But what uh, keep me, keeps me up at night, it's, it's the which film will have access to those screens. And I think that uh, I was raised at a time where you could see uh, in Montreal uh, a huge amount of uh, movies from Europe or, or art house movies. And these movies have less and less space on screen. I mean, I'm talking about art house. Yeah. Uh, that these movies. Uh, Legitimately, legitimately needs the big screen as Hollywood does. It's like, it's like and that's where I feel that I'm, I'm a movie like Alfonso Cuaron Roma. When you look at Roma on a big screen, it's like a, a unique, sublime, sublime uh, 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 cinematic experience. If you look at Roma on a, on a iPad, you will not experience the same. It's will yeah. not. You will, have, you will receive ten uh, percent of the movie. It's like uh, it's not the same, and and and, and uh, I, I uh, that's where the battle will happen. Is how much can we protect the uh, the access to the big screen to uh, to the art house uh, for the art house filmmaker? And that's it's uh, something I'm, I'm I am willing to fight for. Well, this film. It's not Roma, but it is clearly still deeply personal to you. And that translates, sir, your passion for this film is on the big screen. I got a chance to see it in a theater and it is, it's truly an overwhelming sensory experience. I've only seen it once. I'm dying to get back in there to see it because the um, marriage of visual and sound, I mean, the sound mix on this is just beyond. It's just amazing. Um, so I hope you get some rest. And I know they're running you around the world for a good cause, but, um, I hope you feel good about what you've created here because this is, you know, a passion project for a passion uh, film for me too. I mean, I grew up with this material and to see it realized in this way is um, really inspiring. And I, I'm always inspired by our chats and I, I really, truly appreciate the time as always. Thank you very much for your generosity. And so ends another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Remember to review, rate and subscribe to this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a big podcast person. I'm Daisy Ridley and I definitely wasn't pressured to do this by Josh. <laughs>